to continue the series on the Holy Spirit. I, first of all, I'd just like to say that uh, I, I really felt a difference in atmosphere in the first service and in this service. It, it makes a world of difference when people come prepared to worship, when people come praying, when people come expectant, when people come in the Spirit. And so I just praise God for what I have experienced in, the, in this sanctuary twice this morning. So I want to praise the Lord for that, and I want to thank God for your attitudes and, and response. Now, today I'm going to be reading, I want to talk about the power of God and the miracle-working power of God. And so I'm going to read from James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Nobody here, I'm sure, qualifies for that. Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. For months now, I've been talking about how God is calling us to go deeper in the Spirit and deeper in prayer. And the Bible has numbers of ways to do that. But I want to take a look at what James tells us. He says, is anybody in trouble? Well, why don't you pray? Is anyone happy? Well, why don't you sing songs of praise? No matter what's happening to you, make that the stuff of prayer. Pray your life, good and bad, happy and sad. Let God infiltrate every part of your life. If you want, to, if you want something to pray about, just pray what's going on. You'll never lack for prayer. Just pray what you worry about. You'll never lack for prayer. Then James writes, is anyone sick? Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil was a common medical practice in the ancient world, both for Christians and non-Christians, Jews and Gentiles. It was the penicillin of its day. Remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan bathed, what did he do when he found this person? The first thing he did is he bathed the wounds of the beaten traveler with oil. Most everyone did. Olive oil was standard medical practice. The biblical attitude towards the human body is that the human body is a precious gift from God. It is a miracle of creation. When God created the world and all that was in it, and he said it was good, part of what he meant was good was us. I don't, about, I don't know about you, but you know, when I look in the mirror, I just praise the Lord. And, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> God loves us. Bones and skin and nerves and muscle. The most basic attitude in the New Testament towards the human body was since it's good and since it's precious to God, it ought to be precious to us. So don't defile it. Don't get drunk with it. Don't use it merely as a sexual object. Don't put drugs in it or toxins in it. The human body, after all, Paul writes, is a temple of the Holy Spirit or at least a potential temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you take care of it. And never let us forget that Christ had and does have a human body. That's what got resurrected. It is still part of who he is, scars and all, in his hands and feet and side. That's how important it is. Jesus has a human body. You take care of yours. 
God values the human body enough to build in its own healing mechanisms. Our body heals itself most of the time. Isn't that wonderful? Our body constantly fights off germs and bacteria and viruses that mean to do us harm. The body constantly repairs itself. It is, in a real sense, a healing machine. Something often we take for granted until that machine doesn't work. When something is damaged, our body sets about to repair it automatically and instantaneously. People are injured, at least in a minor way, all the time, and they never ask God to heal them. And you know why? Because we know healing is natural and it has already started. When I get bruised, I don't say, oh, Lord, heal me. I know my body's already started to heal me. You know, when I get a small cut on my hand, I don't call the prayer chain and say, oh, pray. Why? Because my body's already taken care of it. In addition to these things, God has given us hospitals and medicines. As I said earlier, the oil James talks about was considered medicine. Biblically, it's not a lack of faith to pray and then go to the doctor. It's not a lack for a diabetic to pray and then take insulin. It's not a lack of faith for a person with cancer to pray and then have surgery and radiation and chemotherapy. These things are not at odds. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, including and especially anything that promotes health and healing. That is a gift of God. After all, it was Christians who created hospitals first. It was Christians who developed the first scientific practices of health care. It was Christians who created many of the effective medicines used in Western civilization. Why? Because they believed they were joining God in the practice and ministry of healing. We were joining with Him. The other meaning for anointing oil was sacramental. It symbolized something, and it still does. Oil symbolizes the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. The New Testaments always took time for healing prayer in their services. That's what we read in James this morning. They were telling you how to conduct a worship service. And a part of that worship service is you get the anointing oil for people in need and you start slathering it on. Or dabbing. Anyway. And that's why we do it in the end of our services. We pray for the sick and we anoint people. By the way, I have to... I have to confess with you, last Sunday a woman came to be anointed and prayed for, specifically came to be anointed and prayed for. and It wasn't happening at her church. And, and for the life of me, I couldn't find any anointing oil anywhere. And so um, we got plenty now because I told Mary Lou about it, and Mary Lou made sure we got plenty of anointing oil now. <laughs> the only thing I can find during that time was a bottle of lotion on the altar over here. You know, it's one of those hand lotion things. You pump it and get hand lotion. And I said, this is all we got. Is it okay if I anoint you with lotion? And she said, yes. So I anointed her with hand lotion and prayed. Now, usually I just cross people and say in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and I dab a little oil on there. But I had a big blob of lotion. And so as I, normally I just hold my hand still, but I just kept rubbing and... <laughs> rubbing and rubbing that stuff in because I didn't want her to go back to her seat with a big blob of white looking like a unicorn. Now, I don't know how God answered her prayer. I'm anxious to know how God answered her prayer. But if nothing else, we know she left the altar with better skin and less wrinkles. Hallelujah. 
<laughs> then James says, when talking about how to anoint, he says, if you're really in trouble, if you're really sick, call for the elders of the church. Don't fight your battles alone. Invite the church in, especially the spiritually mature people of the church, into that battle with you. Let the more spiritually mature pray on your behalf. Because the prayer of a righteous person, they say, is powerful and effective. The biblical term for righteous means doesn't mean that I am necessarily more morally superior to you. What it means is that I am in right standing with God. Righteousness means first and foremost, not that I'm perfect, perfect, but that I walk close with the Lord. The prayer of the righteous are effective because the righteous man or woman, woman is tuned into the Spirit. Righteous people in the New Testament, as the New Testament defines them, are people in the Spirit who pray in the Spirit, who walk in the Spirit. They're tuned into the Spirit's nudges, and at times they sense the direction of how the Spirit is moving. God hears the prayers of the righteous because the righteous are trying to hear God's prayers being prayed through them. They are listening to the Spirit. They are trying to flow in the Spirit. They are trying to discern what the Spirit desires because the deepest kind of prayer, folks, is not praying to God. The deepest kind of prayer is praying with God. That's why other, Paul says, pray in the Spirit. And above all, the righteous want and the mature want the will of God to be done. The heart of any righteous prayer is, thy will be done. No matter what we pray, we must leave room for God's will, God's timing, God's answers, which may not be our own. Let me say this bluntly. No one controls miracles. You must leave room for the will of God in all of this. If somebody says, I have this gift or that and I can control it, you run the other way. If someone gives you a formula, and, and there's, you know, the two basic formulas out there are, if you just have enough faith, you'll get anything, you, any miracle you want from God, and you, know, and you must eliminate all negative thinking. Don't believe that. The final criteria for miracles is not Faith. Faith is a precondition for a miracle, but the final decision on any miracle belongs to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, not us. And all this name it and claim, oh, don't get me going. Don't get me going. I want, but there is no surefire guarantee or formula for miracles. So we do what James says. What do you do? You, you pray. James says you have not because you ask not. It never hurts to ask. I, I ask God for the moon and the sun. Why? Because all he can say is no. <laughs> it never hurts to ask. And then it says when you ask, and you ask in faith, you get some spiritually mature people around you, people who are sensitive to the will and the, of God and the move of the Spirit, and you get them together, and then you storm the throne of God together with anointing people with oil. That is New Testament. That is how we do it. And then what happens after that is up to God, not up to us. Then James finishes things this way in verse 15. He said, if sick, God will make them well. If they have sinned, God will forgive them. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's obvious from this context 
that healing, according to James, involves the totality of what we are, not just the physical. Real prayer heals bodies, but real prayer heals souls too. Hallelujah. Real healing involves healing the physical diseases and the spiritual diseases. It involves healing what our, our outer problems, also our inner problems. The biblical definition of wholeness includes the physical, but it goes beyond the physical. Spiritual, relational, physical, emotional wholeness is the, the Bible calls that shalom, by the way, is the ultimate goal of our prayers so that we might know and experience total forgiveness and oneness with Jesus. If, if, when a real great biblical prayer session is over, you should feel like there's nothing between you and Jesus. You should feel like everything is clean on the slate. Our bodies are gifts. They are important. Health is a blessing. So we pray and anoint our bodies. And sometimes there are obvious miracles, but there are more important miracles than just what happens to our body. I repeat, there are more important miracles than what happens to our body. Jordan Sang said five years ago, an elderly Buddhist woman who had never been inside a church came to one of their services in hopes of a cure for her total blindness. He said, when I laid hands on her eyes, we got an encouraging sign. She seemed to see lights. Nevertheless, after some time, she showed no progress, and I had to send her home with a promise to try again. The next week, she came back to our worship service, handed me a box of cookies she had baked, and told me the story of what happened after the healing service. As she prepared for bed that night, she said she felt a presence in her room, and when she turned toward it, suddenly she could see perfectly. She saw a man standing there, and she said, I knew immediately it was Jesus, and even though I'd never seen him before, I knew who he was. And she said, we talked for hours all night long about this and that. Eventually, Jesus said it was time for him to go. But she said, when he left the room, suddenly I could not see anymore. The woman expressed no disappointment about being cured only temporarily. I just wanted to come back this week and tell you that now I believe. I know Jesus, and I'm not scared anymore. The cookies were chocolate chip, the greatest gift you can give. And she bought me several batches over the months until she passed away. Let me ask you this morning, which is the greater miracle? That she could see or who she could see? What was more important, her eyes temporarily healed or her life and her soul permanently healed? I want you to know that when a lost person comes home to Jesus, that is a greater miracle than any physical healing because that's what's going to last forever. When hatred is overcome and prejudice and bigotry and racism is overcome by the love of Christ infiltrating a human heart, that is greater than any physical miracle. When an unforgiving person forgives someone whose guts they have hated for a lifetime, that is the miracle that will last forever. When a fearful person learns to live by faith and walks in peace, that is a miracle that surpasses any touch on a human body. When an adult learns to keep their addiction surrendered to God one day at a time, 
learns to be dependent totally on God from moment to moment. That miracle is greater than anything touching skin and bone. And when a dying person lives in joy and love, even as death nears, and I've been in rooms with people. I've been in Christians who were dying, and you, the room was saturated with the presence of God. It was saturated with peace and love and joy. I want to tell you something. I've watched people die in ways that have built my faith more than anything. Because they knew they were in the arms of Jesus and they knew they were going to be made whole. When we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, they're not going to celebrate that we have six-pack abs. Some of us. (laughs) When we get to heaven, they're not going to celebrate that we ate our vegetables. I I would never get to heaven. (laughs) They will celebrate things like I just mentioned that will last for eternity because in heaven healing our current bodies is always just a temporary fix every body Jesus raised from the dead died later it was a temporary fix but the saving of a life the saving of a soul the expansion of a heart that lasts forever and if you can't rejoice and celebrate God's greater miracles then you're going to be deeply disappointed in God before your journey in this world is over because every one of us is going to die from something. Nobody gets out of here alive. Jesus is the only one that got out of here alive. The final fix for what's wrong with these bodies is called resurrection. And until the resurrection day, whatever happens to these bodies is just temporary. We must keep that in focus. There are greater miracles that last forever than just fixing this body. And so we pray. We pray until we are truly made whole, until our sins are forgiven, as James says. Our minds and our souls are made right. We pray that we will not miss the gifts, the insights, the deeper healings God gives when we pray. May we not miss what God is giving us Because we are too focused on what we think we need instead of what God knows we need. So pray. Pray with an open heart, an open mind. Pray open to the Spirit. Pray because only good things happen when we pray. Whether it's what we think best or not. Whether the answer is obvious to us or not. Because if we keep praying, we will become more and more sensitive to what God is doing to make us whole, truly whole. Because in the end, we will be forgiven, James says. We will be healed from the really bad stuff, the stuff that destroys souls and lives, not just bodies. That's what James says. The church is a supernatural entity. Christ is here. Wow. The Spirit is here. And that means Anything is possible. The New Testament church believed God could do what medicine could not do. So they anointed and prayed for people. The New Testament church believed in the direct intervention of the Holy Spirit when things could not be fixed by normal means. So they anointed with oil. Because, you see, God did and still does miracles. Amen? Amen. Are we open to the Spirit moving among us? Most churches emphasize Bible study but not Bible experience. Most churches learn facts, biblical facts, instead of of encountering the God of the Bible. 
We focus on programs instead of the kingdom breaking in. We discuss theology and ethics as we should, but, but are scared about the thought of the real interaction with the present God in our midst. And here's the problem if it's always a head trip. It leaves us empty. We hunger for more than facts and programs. We hunger for the mystery of God. Church is most remarkable when God's movements and God's glory transcend the bulletin or transcend the church schedule. I love what Calvin Miller says. He says, should an all-powerful God never do anything that astounds us? Do we really believe such things as miracles don't happen? Those who believe that everything God does must fit some code of propriety, some schedule, it, it, it seems to me, are in for a long, dry ride. This kind of spirituality never quickens the heart or moves the spirit into deeper worship. We need to make place for God to do things that go beyond our understanding, Calvin Miller says. Only then are we truly expanded. And besides that, if God doesn't answer prayer, why in the world are we praying? What an utter waste of time. But God does answer prayers. And sometimes he answers prayers in an obvious, miraculous way. Sometimes he answers prayers in a subtle, greater way. But the Spirit is here. Now, we talked about Pastor Linda. And we praise the Lord that she does not have to have chemo or radiation or six months of treatment. We praise the Lord. That cancer is out of her body totally. We also praise the Lord that cancer is totally out of Pastor Cedra's body too. Hallelujah. But here's what I love about Pastor Linda's story. Her doctor was shocked when she didn't need chemo or radiation. Because you see, when they, did the, when they uh, took the tumor before her mastectomy, there was, there was cancer in it. But after the mastectomy, when they did a deeper look into the tumor, there was no cancer left in the tumor. Now, there's only two explanations for this. One is that God took the cancer from her body and healed her. The other is that the small sample they took from her tumor during her biopsy pre-surgery had all the cancer in it that was there. What are the odds that they got all the cancer in that tumor in a small sample of tissue in the biopsy. What a, what a coincidence that the doctor cut in just the right place at just the right depth and removed just the right tissue and got all the cancer in that small tissue sampling. I claim miracle either way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All I know is that Pastor Linda has no cancer and her doctor is shocked. That's good enough for me to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What you might not know is that on the same Sunday we prayed for Pastor Linda, another miracle took place in this sanctuary. Michael and Pam Clay have just started coming to this church. They've been here for a couple of months. Mike is in construction. He makes log cabins. We'll talk. In August... He injured his knee. There was swelling and pain, and since that injury, he has been unable to straighten it out. It caused him to walk with a limp. Mike went to an osteopathic doctor who told him it was probably a torn meniscus, plus he saw some arthritis in there, plus he thought there might be some structural damage in there. 
Every morning, Mike had to massage his leg for at least five minutes to be able to get out of bed and it hurt, or even get out of a car. From August, September, October, the pain remained intense. Surgery, the doctor told him, was indicated. On this Sunday, two Sundays ago, when we prayed for Pastor Linda, Mike was in the service. He limped into the service. He prayed all through the service, Lord, please heal my leg. Please take away the pain. And about halfway through the service, Mike noticed something. Actually, it was what he wasn't noticing. There was no pain in his knee for the first time in months. He tried to straighten it out, and it, it totally straightened out without pain back to what they, they call zero position. And then he couldn't wait till the service was over, so he could get up and walk and check this baby out. And when he walked, it was pain-free. It was natural. There was no limp. Mike limped into church two Sundays ago, and he almost ran out of church two Sundays ago. His leg has been fine. It has been healed ever since. We didn't even get to him. I'm upset that Mike didn't follow proper protocol. How dare the Holy Spirit do something without our permission? What's going on around here? How dare the Holy Spirit be unpredictable? The whole point of this is still this. Our God still does miracles. Oh, and there's one more story I need to tell you before we go on. I've been working with someone and they sent me an email this past week. I don't want you to listen to this email. Pastor Woody, something amazing happened Saturday night, and I wanted to share it with you. Saturday night, I went over to some friends and spiritual mentors, and I shared with them my secret struggle with pornography, a lifetime struggle with it, and how my wife knew and how we've been working with you. And I shared about the demonic oppression in our home as, in, as a child and the voices I heard, and then the voices I still sometimes hear as an adult. My friends told me that this was a battle about faith. Another friend said I needed to confess all the things I'd been holding on to to make room for the Holy Spirit to work. We read Galatians 2 out loud. I'd been holding on to the law and not accepting God's grace and living by faith. Because that's what Galatians is about. It's about living by law or living by spirit and faith. We started praying. I saw myself sitting for 34 years in the far corner of a prison cell. The bars were guilt and shame and fear. Jesus patiently, lovingly in my cell was with me all those years, ministering to me. But what I didn't realize is the door was open the whole time I stayed in there for 34 years. The spiritual wind of the Holy Spirit whirled around us. The white dove of the Holy Spirit descended on my shoulder, and I cried and asked for forgiveness for not believing in Jesus this time and in His grace. And I thought of the verse, Get up, take your mat, your faith has healed you. And I realized it was up to me to leave the guilt and the shame and the fear behind. So I physically stood up, took two steps forward, said, I believe. And I looked back and the door of the cell slammed shut and the bars all around the cell turned to dust. The jail cell blew away. I knelt crying. We praise God. My sins prayed to seal my deliverance and prayed against the demonic forces from ever coming back. One said to sing praises. 
Study Galatians 2. Get it in there. Meditate on it. Fast one day of the week and pray and for his wife to do the same. And he said, since Saturday night, I've been studying Galatians 2 and filling our house with praise. This morning, God gave me this joy-filled men's version of the hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? I didn't know this hymn before, but when I heard these lyrics, I was stunned about how it was talking about me. By the way, I am kind of surprised at how many people do not know And Can It Be. That's one of the songs that's going to be sung at my funeral soon. No. And... Uh, <laughs> it is the greatest hymn to the grace of God I know. And I do, there are three hymns, and this will be one at my funeral. And I want you to know something. It was written by Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, and it is the national anthem of the Methodists, and it should be. We're going to, you know, we, we need to sing this today, but I'm going to give you the words so you can hear the words of this hymn, although they're changed slightly because it's the men's version. Now here's the song that God gave him in the middle of this deliverance. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Miracles of healing. A miracle of deliverance from the demonic. All of these things I've told you about have happened in the last two weeks. You know, I told you Ezekiel's vision where the water kept rising as the moves of the Spirit, you know. I'm telling you today the water is rising. The Spirit is moving. The question is, are we ready? Are we expecting? Are we praying? Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in this sanctuary, we're going to have an, a little informal worship. We're going to listen to God in silence to see what the Spirit says to us. And we're going to share praises. One of the, the main praise is, how has God answered prayer in your life in the last year? And then we're going to anoint and pray for people with, for anything they bring to us. Everyone is invited. I don't know how long it's going to last or exactly what's going to happen. We're going to leave that up to the Spirit. It may be short. It may be a little longer. We, we want to give the Spirit the opportunity to heal us, deliver us, guide us, touch us. If you need something from the Spirit, if you need something from God, we invite you to come. But today we worship. Today we praise. Our main job today is to express gratitude for what the Spirit is doing in our midst and what is coming. I don't know about you, but when I talk about these things in this sermon, I get goosebumpy. I do. Do you get goosebumpy? Well, there are three of us that get goosebumpy. Can you say, Praise the Lord for what He is doing? Praise the Lord. Can we give him praise for what he is doing? Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Spirit. And I really do believe the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to partake of communion, and I invite the servers to come forward and take their stations. Again, we invite you to worship, really worship during this time. You do not have to be a Brethren in Christ member or even a member of this church to partake of this. We just ask that you love the Lord. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Spirit. Again, we're going to ask you to exit the right side of the section. There's three sections. Exit the right side. Come back, partake of the cup, partake of, of the bread. You may sit on the front row in prayer and meditation or take it back with you, but go back on the left side. Please read with me now. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do. Holy Spirit, lead us in heartfelt worship and gratitude during this time of communion as we remember the Lord's death till he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.